Thanks, guys, for singing that. Thank you, David and Ardith, for pinch-hitting today. Thank you for all the hymn requests. I think I've gotten through all the thank yous. One announcement I forgot to announce is I'd like to remind everyone about the birthday party next week after church for Gail. Uh, she's turning 18. A Gail, and we won't say how many times she's turned 18 before this. Uh, there's an uh, invitation on the back table with all the details, so please put it on your calendar and go and celebrate her birthday next week. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we started studying this passage last week. That was part one. Today is part two. Uh, ever since we kind of jumped into 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the sermons have been kind of heavy. We got a little bit of a break when I left town. Uh, and that was a nice breathing space. Today we finally get to an uplifting part of 1 Corinthians. Paul takes a break from confronting the Corinthians on who they are to encouraging them about who they are. It is necessary to confront sin in our life. It's necessary to confront sin in those around us. But it's also necessary to smile and remember what God has done in our lives and want him to do that same thing in the lives of those around us. So we're going to read the whole text, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, uh, and we'll read until verse 11. And we're just, today we're just going to be focusing on the last few verses, but we're going to read the whole passage today to get the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Paul writes, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one believer takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. I love verse 11. We're going to spend a lot of time on verse 11 today. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is completely holy, who does nothing wrong, who rules in justice and righteousness. Thank you that you are the God who wanted to be known by us sinful people that you sent your son to die, that we might have a relationship with you, that we might be completely known by you and completely know you. Lord, that is, it's an awesome thing to be able to call the creator of the universe friend. Thank you for that immense privilege. Thank you for giving us your word and that we could trust it and that we can know you through it. And today, Father, I ask that we would know you even more clearly and understand even better the amazing gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. 
As I am here, Lord, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Last week, we talked about how this passage, in this passage, Paul's holding up two mirrors to the Corinthians. The first part of this passage is a mirror showing the Corinthians who they are in their sin. The second part of the passage, the last few verses, is a mirror showing the Corinthians who they are in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today, our identity, who we are in Christ. Now, before we can appreciate who we are in Christ, we have to remember who we were. So we're going to dip a little bit into last week and talk about who we were. Paul says that we were wrongdoers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, Paul says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul gives clear, detailed examples of what it means to be a wrongdoer. The word, uh, of course, this is not an all-inclusive list he gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We could build and build and build all the things in our life that details how we are wrongdoers. But the word wrongdoer speaks of someone who lives contrary to what is right. God has a standard for what is right. The standard is himself. He is that standard. Humanity took that standard. Humanity said, yes, God, I know you have a standard for what's right. I know you are just. I know you are righteous. I know you are all these things, but I'm going to take that standard. I'm going to crumble it up. I'm going to spit on it and throw it back in your face. That's what we did to God. We said, yes, I know that you have a specific standard, but we know better. And we're going to live according to what we know as better. Whatever we feel is right, whatever the culture tells us what is right, that's what we're going to do. So the one who likes to get drunk, toasts his health, and drinks himself to oblivion. The one who is not content with what they want will seek more and more stuff to the point of stealing and cheating. The verbally abusive will destroy home after home after home and everyone will fill their sexual appetites in whatever they want, way they want to, no matter the consequences. And on and on we can go through the wrongdoings that we do, taking the standard of God and saying, no, I know better, I'm going to do it my way. God has a standard, and we as humanity refuse to follow it. Not only do we refuse to follow the standard of God, but we glory in those who are sinning. We glory in the sins that Paul talks about here as well as so many others. Paul talks about those who are without Christ in Romans chapter 1. And he describes those without Christ. And unfortunately, that description is us way too often. He says in Romans chapter 1 verse 32, Romans 1 32, he says, Although they, these people, know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, those who live in this way that is contrary to God's standard of right and wrong, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. There are some churches today here in America that are exalting sin. They are approving those who are following in these sinful ways. The United Methodist Church denomination is going through a, a split in fact, the United Methodist Church here in town is leaving the United Methodist denomination because they've gotten fed up 
with how the United Methodist denomination is exalting sin, and they said, enough is enough, we're not going to be part of that denomination anymore. Some of us might look at some of the sins of the Bible and wonder what is so wrong with them. Some people looking at the sins of the Bible may go so far as to say, you know, God made me this way, so why should I not live as I am made? Every single one of us has a pet sin, a a rotted path in their life that we jump back into because it just is comfortable for us. We have lived that way since we were kids. We've had this propensity since we were kids, and it's so easy to dive back into that rutted path, whether it's the sin of drunkenness, polygamy, homosexuality, lying, gossip, pride, disobedience to parents, all these ruts in our life that's just easy to jump into. My ruts may not be your ruts, They might be, but each one of us has a pet sin that we naturally go into. We are this, we live this way, we have this rutted path in our life because of the brokenness of this world. God created us in Genesis 1 and 2. He talks about humanity. He says he created us and he looked at us and he said it's good. We are created in his image, reflections of his character. But then Genesis chapter 3 happened and all that creation became distorted and broken. And so when we live according to the sin in our life, that rutted path, we're not living how we are created in the image of God of Genesis 1 and 2. We're living according to our sin in Genesis chapter 3. We're living according to the fall, not according to our creation. We are this way. God, the creator clearly stated what is right, clearly stated what is wrong. We find that in the Bible. There are some people who want to add or subtract from that list of what is right and wrong. There are people in our culture that say, oh yes, we know the Bible says certain sins are wrong, but we're just going to take that out because we don't see anything wrong with them. There are certain churches that look at the sins in the Bible and they say, yeah, you know, we think a sin needs to be in there even though it's not. We're better than God, so we're going to add these different sins. And there's legalistic churches in the past who have done that. God has given us his word for us to study it for ourselves, know who he is and his standard so that we can live it according to what the Bible says, not according to what we think, not according to what the culture says. He has made very clear what brings blessings and what brings destruction. So why do we refuse to believe the standard that he has given? Even in that, when we refuse to believe that standard, we are wrongdoers because we have the pride to say that we know better than God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are wrongdoers. Wrongdoers. He gives us the result of our wrongdoing. He says that we are wrongdoers doomed to an eternity apart from God. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he goes on through this list and he says that those people on this list will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why should we plead with those who are living in a way that is against God? Because they are bringing destruction to themselves. Those who live in a way that is contrary to the right standard of God will not inherit the kingdom of God. John, looking into the future, sees something very clear to him in Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 to 15. Revelation 22, 14 to 15, John says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go, go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, 
those who are practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. He says there's a place outside the kingdom of God that people will live for eternity apart from God. More graphically, John reports in Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 to 8. Revelation 21, 6 to 8, John says, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those are victorious. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. When we say that our way is best, that we know better than the righteous standards of the creator of the universe, we will reap the result of destruction, God says. God has given us a bunch of warnings along the highway to life. If we refuse to heed those warnings, we will fall off the ledge into destruction, as we talked about several weeks ago. Paul says this was our fate, an eternity in the lake of fire where we will be separated from God forever. Death means separation. Physical death is when someone's soul separates from their body. Spiritual death is when we are separated from the giver of life for eternity. A separation from God, which is even worse than any physical death we could imagine. The terror, the hopelessness, the utter loneliness, the lack of love, lack of peace, an eternity of anxiety, terror, and constant pain awaits those who are doomed to an eternity apart from God. Paul says this is what we were wrongdoers doomed to an eternity apart from God. That's who we were. So, okay, who are we now? Paul says simply in verse 11, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. The Corinthians had people in their church that were sexually immoral. They were idolaters, They were adulterers. They were homosexuals. They were thieves. They were greedy. They were drunkards. They were verbally abusive. They were swindlers. That's what they were, but that's not who they are now because God took their wrongdoing and he changed them. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5, Paul said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. When God comes into our life, we are changed. We might look in our past and see all the sin that is piled up, but we are not defined by that sin anymore. We don't have to continue in that sin anymore. We are a new creation. In our text, Paul describes uh, this change in us using three words. Each of these descriptions is unique. Each is important. He first says that we are washed. We are washed. My goal is by the end of this morning, I'll have read verse 11 enough that you will go out and you will dream it in your sleep. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Washed. There's nothing really special about this word. It's your normal, ordinary word for washing. Every evening I go into the kitchen and I look at the sink and I breathe this sigh because it's my job to wash the dishes in that sink. And there's a mountain of them because I have three kids. It's interesting how, you know, the dishes in your sink grow exponentially with the amount of kids you have. It's not like, oh, I'm going to add another kid, therefore I'm adding another dish. No. Every kid, there's like 200 more dishes. So I go to the pile, and I look at it, and I pick up a dish, and I put it in the dishwasher, because that's what dishwashers are for. And I fill the dishwasher, and I put soap in it, and I turn it on, and I walk away, breathing this sigh of relief, because my work is now done. I've paid something else to do it for me. I walk in the next day, and I open up the dishwasher, and all the dishes in that dishwasher clean? No. No, they're not. Because my dishwasher isn't brand spanking new. The fault of some of those dishes being dirty might be the dishwasher's fault. It's finicky. It might be my fault for not loading it correctly or not rinsing it enough, but we'll, we'll disregard that. And it might actually be the dish's fault for being dirty. Anyone buy that, that it's the dish's fault for being dirty? Thank you. Yes, it is the dish's fault. It might also be my fault for putting spaghetti in a white plastic dish. Sometimes dishes just get stained. When you put spaghetti in a white plastic dish, it gets stained. And to my knowledge, there's really no way to get that stain out of there. Those who are older than my agree with me, okay. No matter what we do, there's nothing we can do to get the stain off of that white plastic dish from the spaghetti. Paul says that our life is like that plastic dish. It is stained by the sin in our life. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah writes, Isaiah 1, 18, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. That's the Nooner International Version translation. There's another version that I like here. It's called the NET, that New English translation. And it says, Come, let us consider your options, says the Lord. Though your sins have stained you like the color red, you can become white like snow. Though they are as easy to see as the color scarlet, you can become white like wool. Our lives are that white plastic dish, stained orange by the spaghetti, the sin in our life. And there's nothing we can do to take it off before Christ. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. Jeremiah 2, 22, Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. Have you ever done something in your life? And after you've done it, you felt filthy. I'm not like working out in the garden, that's one thing, but like spiritually filthy, you've done something and you, it's just horrible. I've been there. And you feel like you need to take a shower, but you realize there's no shower that can cleanse you spiritually like that. No amount of washing is going to cut it. That was our life before Christ. Then he came in, and he took the sin away. 
Not only does he take the sin away, but he takes away the stain of that sin. He just doesn't scoop the spaghetti out of the dish. He purifies it and makes that dish completely white. That which we thought couldn't be clean, Christ comes in and completely purifies it. We thought our reputation would always be there. We thought we would be continually reminded of that action we did 10, 15, 60, 80 years ago. We thought our future would always be colored because of the mistake we made. But in Christ, it is washed clean. My dishwasher doesn't wash all the dishes, but Christ washes all the sin of our life. Nothing escapes his magic eraser. It is gone. Who are we? Paul says we are washed. We are washed. Not only are we washed, but we are sanctified. We are sanctified. I love that word. It's a great word to say. You almost feel like a old black southern preacher. We are sanctified when you need to say it. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This word simply means that we are brought into the, into the circle of what is holy. And that is a big deal for someone who is a wrongdoer. We were those who were outside, doomed to an eternity of destruction apart from God. Now, in Christ, we are the sanctified. We are those who are brought close into his circle of holiness. Author, the author of Hebrews says it this way, of this action through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 to 10, he says. Hebrews 10, 8 to 10. First, he said, speaking of Jesus, sacrifices and offerings Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. And he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In our wrongdoing, no amount of sacrifices could cover our sin. No amount of good works could cause us to be pleasing to God. No amount of religious rituals could bring us into his circle of holiness. I appreciate what Mike Mossat said when his baptism. He stood there in the water and he said that he was baptized when he was an infant and all that did was make him wet. It did nothing for his soul. It did nothing for his life. No religious ritual, no good work, nothing brings us into the circle of holiness. No matter what we do, we are doomed for an eternity apart from God until Christ comes into our life. The imagery of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 is amazing. Hebrews 13, verse 12, the author of Hebrews says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Jesus left the circle of holiness. He went outside to the gate to the place where there were robbers and prostitutes and sinners. He experienced our separation from God. He died the death of the wrongdoer. He did all of that outside the circle of holiness so that we might come inside the realm of holiness. Sanctification. Sanctification comes with perks. Not only do we have all the blessings of those who can commune with God, but we also are able to do other things than wrongdoing. Before Christ came into our life, we lived in the area of sin. And all we could do was sin. Even when we tried to do good works, it was still sin. But then Christ takes us, 
moves us outside that spot of sin into the realm of holiness. And now we have this whole new life open to us where we don't have to do this evil anymore and we can choose to live in a way that shows Christ in our life. Each person of Corinth before was defined by their sin. They couldn't escape it, but then they were sanctified. Their chains of sin was broken, and now they could do good works. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 21. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 21. Paul says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. When we are sanctified, brought into that circle of holiness, we are prepared for any good work. When we're in the circle of holiness, it is impossible for us to look at ourselves and say, you know, I'm a horrible sinner. I can't do anything right. That was true when we were over there. But now when we look at ourselves, we look at ourselves and say, I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now through him, I can follow him wherever he leads. Because we are sanctified, we can do that. Who are we? We are washed. We are sanctified. Paul says we are justified. The words keep getting better and better. Verse 11, he says, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Some people describe justification, that huge long word that says so many syllables, like you're saying Worcestershire sauce, justification, as just as if I had never sinned, which is a great phrase. And it's partially true, but unfortunately, if we just leave it at that phrase, it guts the term for what it is. So I need three volunteers because we need to shake ourselves up a little bit. Three volunteers, any brave souls who wish to come up front Thank you. Please, come stand right here. Two more. Yes, Christine. And then a third. Did I see a hand? All right, please, come on up here. Okay, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Do you know what a judge is? Kind of? What is a judge? Yeah, very good. It's someone who, who looks, you place something and the judge says whether you win or you're out. That's very good. Good job. Give yourself, thank you. All right. We're going to place this judge in a courtroom, okay? And the judge, is, you are the judge, all right? So someone's going to bring someone in front of you who's done something really wrong and you have to tell them whether they're in or they're out, okay? All right. Do you know what a prosecutor is? No? That's good. A prosecutor is a lawyer. Do you know what a lawyer is? No? All right. A lawyer is someone who comes before a judge, and a prosecutor is a type of a lawyer. They bring someone before the judge who's done something wrong, and they shake their finger at them and say, you are very naughty. It is a mom, too. Yes. So you are the prosecutor. You're bringing someone before the judge and you're saying this person is very naughty. They deserve punishment for their action. Okay? Are you okay with that? All right. Sounds good. Christine, you're someone who's done something very naughty. Okay? So, shake your finger at your mom. 
Say, you've been naughty. Now tell the judge, judge, this person's been naughty. And judge, you say, okay, guilty. All right, okay. Now we've got the scene. Let's fill in the gaps a little bit, okay? So, Christine, of course, we're just play acting. This has not happened. Okay. Christine killed someone. <laughs> Christine just said, you told them? <laughs> <laughs> Christine killed someone. All the evidence points to her. They got fingerprints, they got DNA, they've got a security camera showing. Huh? <laughs> yep, she done. All the evidence shows it. So, the normal course of action, judge. Now, we're not getting to political things here, okay? We're not getting into any, any debates about the pros and cons of this action, okay? Just follow the illustration. We good with that? Okay, the normal course of action is when someone has this, this murder, and it's clear, and it is definitely vengeful. She wanted to do it. She did it. Death penalty. Judge, slam your gavel down and say death penalty. All right. It's a serious thing. We, we ourselves are her because we have sinned. And it is clear and willful what we have done against the judge, our God. And we deserve this penalty for what has been given, eternity of death. That's what, what happened. Okay, so now, what would happen? What would happen if those doors were closed and all of a sudden they burst open and someone runs in panting, panting, saying, wait, 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 before you shove the gavel down and say, wait, 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 wait. Someone just jumped into the electric chair and died for that person. How would you respond, O oh judge? You've got several options. Number one, you can faint. Okay. Number two, you can have your mouth throw, fall open all the way down to your feet. Can you do that? Okay. Number four, you can stutter and say, what, huh, wait, huh, what, what, uh? Can you do that one? Okay. Prosecutor, this person's done something very naughty, and you want them punished. What do you do when someone comes up and says, I took the spanking for them? That's exactly what I would do too. It's true. Good job. We don't know what to do because in our society that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But Jesus came. He got onto the electric chair for us. He died our death. And so the judge, since the, the, the punishment's already been made, the judge can only say, well, I guess you get a walk free. So, say it. Okay, and prosecutor, you're going to go, what do I do now? There you go. Okay, you all can sit down. They did a great job. That is half of justification. Half of justification is Jesus died for in our place. So the judge looks at us and says, 
you are innocent, you can walk free. It's just as if I had never sinned. So Christine's record as a murderer is wiped clean. It's not held against her anymore. No one can look at her and say, you owe society because it's already been fulfilled. That's half of justification. The other half of justification is while the courtroom is kind of everyone's just murmuring to themselves, wondering what just happened, the messenger who walked in says, wait, wait, just want to make an announcement. The person who died out there for this horrible, miserable murderer is a doctor who has saved countless people. He's, he has volunteered at the food bank He's volunteered the suicide hotline. He's traveled to Africa and South America and built thousands of medical clinics. He has done so many good things. And as he said, his dying breath, as he died for this person, he said, every good thing that I have done in my life, I want the world to think that this murderer did. That is justification. Where because of Jesus Christ, not only did Jesus die for us, taking our sin on him, but all the good things he has ever done, all of his righteousness is placed on our side. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see sin. He doesn't just see innocence. He sees complete and total righteousness. Justification. We have never experienced that in our lifetime here on this earth because it's not human to give that. But God looked at every single one of us and said, this is the gift I give to you. It's not something I deserve. It's not something you deserve. But it is a gift. It's a gift. We can't do anything to earn this justification. It's freely given to us. I think of the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. God looks at us, doesn't see a sinner. He sees a completely righteous person, no matter what other people say. They can look at us and say, I remember what you did in the past. I remember this, I remember that. And we can stand up and tall and say, realize that what they remember is not what we are. We are washed. We are sanctified. We are justified. So we've talked about who we were. Wrongdoers doomed to an eternity apart from God. We've talked about who we are. We are washed sanctified and justified. Now let's look at who we owe. Who we owe. Paul says in the verse that we've almost memorized, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, he says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The change in our life happened in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We owe everything to him. There are many people who stand up and preach a different gospel than what Scripture says. They say that we owe our salvation. We owe the fact that we are washed, sanctified, and justified to a church or to a priest or to a religious leader. 
They might say that we owe our salvation to words that we recite or prayers that we repeat. Perhaps they say we owe our salvation to religious rituals like baptism, confirmation, communion, confession, or any other sacrament we want to throw out there. Perhaps they say that our salvation is due to the good works that we do or the fact that our family are religious. Maybe our salvation is due to how much money we throw into the offering plate. Anyone who says that salvation is based on anything other than the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is preaching a different gospel. Paul bluntly says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, Galatians 1, 6 to 9, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. We owe everything to Jesus. It is only him. It is nothing that we do. And our responsibility is to turn to him in faith. John said it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. He says, this is Jesus' command, to believe in the name, this is God's command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. There are many people who have never turned to Jesus in belief. They're content to live a religious life. And unfortunately, they never, since they've never made the decision to believe in Jesus for their salvation, the three words of washed, sanctified, justified do not apply to him. There are many people who think that by attending church or doing those rituals will cleanse them, but they will not. Only a conscious decision, a personal conscious decision to turn from our sins and turn to Christ in faith, that is the what will save. So have you made that decision for yourself? It only needs to happen once. It's one decision that you make to say, I realize I'm a sinner and my sin separates me from God forever. And there's nothing I can do to change that state. Therefore, I will trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. Once we make that decision, we place our faith in him, we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified. Before we personally make that decision, we are doomed to eternity and destruction. It's one moment in time that makes that choice. So if you've never made that decision yourself to believe in the name of Jesus for your salvation, do it today. What is stopping you? from doing it today. We owe everything to Jesus. Not only do we owe everything to Jesus, but Paul says we owe everything to the Spirit of God, which we call the Holy Spirit. Paul says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We have salvation through Jesus Christ. Once we place our faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes in he cleanses us. He works in us what is pleasing to Jesus Christ. He equips us for doing good works that we can now do, and he seals us for eternity. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of the glory. So when we, are, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're washed, 
we're sanctified, we're justified, and that is what we will always be because the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a seal, a guarantee that who we are in Christ will never change. No matter what we do, no matter if we decide, you know, I'm going to come back and indulge in these sins, even though I shouldn't want to, but there's that flesh in me that keeps pulling me back, that doesn't break my salvation. The seal is always there. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, once a farmer, always a farmer. Or if you live on the other side of the sand hills, once a rancher, always a rancher. Perhaps you've heard it this way, once a teacher, always a teacher. Or maybe once a mobster, always a mobster. Once a teeny bopper, always a teeny bopper. There's any sort of things you can throw out there. The phrase says that someone cannot change their fundamental nature. But Christ can change our fundamental nature. It's what he does. But once he changes our fundamental nature, nothing else can change it again. The Holy Spirit comes in and no one is kicking him out. Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 38 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? It is God, no one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in, in, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So have you made the conscious decision to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation? If you have all these blessings that Paul says in Romans chapter 8, they're yours, and they're yours for all of eternity. Nothing can take it away. No one can take it away. You cannot take it away. Exactly. <laughs> so if you are in Christ Jesus, I encourage you to think of next, for next week, Think about how you can share the blessings that God has done in your life for salvation and for carrying you every, every single day. If you've not made that decision, do it today. Turn to Jesus that you might be sealed for all of eternity, that you might be washed, sanctified, and justified because it is truly an amazing thing to be called a child of God and to know that for certain for all of eternity. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for saving us not based upon what we have done, but by your amazing gift. Thank you that that gift is for everyone who believes, no matter the age. And thank you that you share your truth through your word and even through little people. Lord, we are grateful for your gift, that what we were, we are not anymore, for we are yours. I ask that those in our lives who have not made this decision who are still living, trusting in everything that they have done, Lord, show them the freedom in you. They might turn to you in faith and see the amazing thing to have their chains broken by your grace.